Joining us today, I have the honor and privilege of speaking with Dr. Eric Monsager. Uh, Eric obtained his bachelor's degree in humanities from St. Thomas Theological Seminary in Denver and his master's degree in counseling from the University of Arizona. He completed his doctorate in depth psychology specializing in the psychology of religion at the Catholic University in Leuven, Belgium. Dr. Monsacker completed the America's Institute of Adlerian Studies program for professionals and is a certified classical Adlerian depth psychotherapist from the Adlerian Institute of Northwestern Washington. Eric is also certified as a training analyst for the Classical Adlerian Depth Psychotherapist Institute. Eric presents at national and international venues. He is a past president of the North American Society of Adlerian Psychology, and he is in a diplomat of Adlerian Psychology. His numerous publications include journal articles, books and book chapters, training manuals, and monographs. He has been the guest editor of the Journal of Individual Psychology for four special issues, including spirituality, LGBT affirmation, social justice, and the Classical Adlerian Depth Psychotherapy Institute, and has written extensively on their critical collaboration between psychology and spirituality. I have asked Dr. Eric Monsager here today to talk with us about Adlerian theory, um, about Adler, and about himself. So, Eric, thank you for joining us today. Pleasure, Daniel. Been looking forward um, to it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Uh, I, re I discussed a little bit with you earlier, but I recently discovered Adler, and I've read a couple of his works, and... Um, yeah, I just I want to know more, and I kind of want to introduce him to the audience. Um, but before we get into that, can you kind of give us your background and tell us a little bit about who you are? Sure. Um, you did a good job <laughs> on the overview. <laughs> um, I guess of of still of interest to me is my my spirituality focus on things. Mm. Um, I I studied to be a Catholic priest, as you noted. And it was there that I ran into Adler for the first time. I was okay. doing an internship during the summer uh, at a, in Wyoming, at a, in Torrington, Wyoming, at a little orphanage that had just taken on the name of Children's Home, actually, that uh, St. Joseph's Children's Home. And it was being run by Mickey Gamble, a really creative man who had himself been introduced to Adler through the book Children the Challenge, huh. which is still a classic and has been kind of the core of a whole lot of parenting programs, positive discipline, active discipline is a video-based program. Um, there, there's a lot of programs that are spun off of this this book and its its theory. Hmm. It was written by Dreikers, whom I'll talk about a little bit later, <clears throat> but uh, being there at the internship and learning this idea of helping the kids by cooperation and encouragement was really a thrill for me. Hmm. So much so that, uh, I guess I shouldn't blame the book, but that was my senior year at college and I decided to run for my wife, if you don't mind me being a little personal. <laughs> I thought I heard a voice that said, at any rate, I left the studies and uh, went hmm. to the University of Arizona where I had the pleasure of meeting Oscar Christensen, who was the man who had taught Mickey Gamble in a <laughs> summer program about oh, wow. Adler and about Children's Challenge. So I felt I'd come like full circle and did my master's there under Chris 
and uh, his colleague Betty Newland and was introduced to Robert Powers and Jane Griffith, who ran the America's Institute for Individual Psychology. So I just couldn't get enough of Adler at that time. Uh -huh. And I was so touched that there was a way, I hadn't abandoned altogether the idea of ministry and this idea of interacting with people on a, on a socially focused basis. And, and as I'll say later, that one of the principles Adler helped us understand was the idea of Gemeinschaft, community, Gefühl, a feeling, a feeling of being in community with people mm -hmm. as kind of the measure of mental health. And I thought that had been altogether missing in my studies. Maybe I overlooked it. I don't know, but I was, I was thrilled to do my master's and uh, go to work in child protection and uh, a small private practice and the like. And then I got a hankering to uh, complete my studies with a doctorate. And uh, already at the seminary, I'd been introduced to the theology of a, a Catholic theologian from Switzerland, here where I live. Um, now recently deceased, just uh, half a year ago or so, Hans Kung was his name. He was a, an expert in humanistic and, and ecumenical theologies. And, uh, and when I started reading him already in the seminary, it was like, I, it didn't quite make sense to me then until I got out and studied Adler. And then it was like, oh, oh I get it. I get what he's talking about now. Cooperating and, uh, and also encouraging people and helping them understand a larger world and how we all interact. And the more we cooperatively interact, everybody benefits from it. Mm -hmm. So I, I had to, I wanted then to do a dissertation, something, a deep dive into what I considered Adler and Kung's parallels. Well, it, it grew and it ended up being a, uh, a general psychological critique of Kung's theology, huh. where I found uh, roots of Freud and Jung and Adler there. Huh. All three of which I, I believe, as much as I've seen in other theologians, he, he grasped the core of each of them and dealt with them respectfully. And, and huh. so that was, that, that was my time in Belgium. Uh, my first wife, who has since passed away, uh, and I were in Europe with our two young kids at the time, and so I was able to study in, in Leuven. But I also was doing uh, work with the American military at the time, oh. drugs and alcohol. So from child protection to uh, drugs and alcohol and adolescent work and family work, I just kind of grew in this interest, always with Adler and, you know, at my elbow, so to speak, <laughs> trying to figure out how to work with people and the like. And, I, and I'm, I'm thrilled whenever I have a chance to talk about it. Um, it's a, do you have a question, a specific question, or shall I roll on a little bit? Uh, yeah, just kind of a kind of a side question what what is it that um so you went to training to become a catholic priest yeah. and then that's where you kind of found adler and you got your interest switched and you ran for your wife right um what is what is it what was your interest in becoming a priest like what was your drive for that yeah well my mom was irish catholic and my dad a convert because he'd fall in love with this irish catholic from <laughs> naturally from mainline lutheran which was, you know, very, very uh, strict in their, in their beliefs. So I think just between the two of them, the idea of a, a pretty rigid religious framework uh, came, came to make sense to me. And I'll talk a little bit about lifestyle. Okay. Adler's term for the personality 
it's a euphemism because we style our own life as Adler's point, and, and it's not imposed on us by nature or nurture. It is something we creatively uh, grow in by means of our nature and our nurture. So my mom and dad gave a pretty solid uh, uh, framework for us. I'm one of six kids. That's my testimony is from a Catholic family. I'm the fifth of six, actually. And uh, my older brother was the first one to attempt a seminary. Huh. They say, and that would have left the dentist or the doctor to me. I don't know, but anyway, he didn't go, <laughs> he didn't go on with his studies either. Hmm. And uh, I mean, at the time, so there was kind of a gap that I thought, well, I can, I can do that thing. Uh-huh. And, and I mean, in my young life, I had been involved in the, the Catholic youth groups and the like. So the idea of ministry or being with young people and, talking about values and and mm. and care for one another i think that was a basis mm. and then w- when you learn about adler i mean many people many people are religious and 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 love adler and many people are a religious and and love adler because mm. he has a value structure that is not hidden nor is it declared as the correct values it's just that mm. it's concerned for humanity and so it, that internship that I talked about at St. Joseph's was really a, a, a point of, of change for me because I, I saw I could minister in a sense, I could be caring and, and, and give to people without the strictures of the church, which also included celibacy, which was an issue. But uh, until I had met Kung, kind of a restrictive theology for me, I have no objection. And that's, yeah, I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying for me, the transition over to Adler made all the sense in the world. I wasn't quite sure how I was going to do it. My master's thesis, in fact, was uh, an original study about Catholic priests and their uh, self-actualization, measured by Schostrom's personal orientation inventory. Because I thought I could find the the lifestyle, the personality type, Hmm. that that could make a good, happy priest. That's what I was after. And I failed at that, but I found out a lot of other information. And that is that at least in this rather large population that I was allowed to draw from, from the local bishops I was in, involved with, uh, said that all the priests, whether actualized or not actualized, fell in a, a broad band of what uh, Adlerians would call the need to be right, one category, the need to be superior, or the need to be good. Okay, and, and there are other, there's rebels and other things like that. And the priests uh, distribute all the way across it, but they're clustered in this area. Uh-huh. So that, that, that was pretty interesting to me. Yeah. Um, I, I've learned much more about that and how I would, you know, work with it now. Uh-huh. I have worked, in fact, with priests and nuns, but that's not my specialty any longer. It's, it's really family therapy and adolescent, uh, adolescents who are struggling to become adults. Which is, uh-huh tough for a lot of kids yeah yeah i think probably especially today yeah yeah okay yes please continue so what came after that um i i think i mean my first wife and i we lived in in arizona we'd both grown up in arizona we moved to germany as i said i went to school in belgium we came back to america and and she became ill. She passed away actually after the plans were made to uh, 
move over here. The kids were out of the house. So I came over here and uh, began work with with uh, my wife, who was, uh, had started just a <laughs> She became my wife. Um, she started a, a family counseling services. Yeah. And then um, I was picked up by Webster University to teach with them. Because in, in the past, I had been at North Dakota University. It's a little complicated affair. Yeah. North Dakota University and St. John Seminary. So I had actually got to ta teach. I was a, a professor or a instructor and the head of their psychological services at, at St. John's in Camarillo, California. Anyway, so we got all over here. We got to open up finally and do the, the work with uh, the depth psychotherapy. So I had mm -hmm. finished my master's and that allowed me to be do psychotherapy counseling. Mm -hmm. And I done in the institutes, uh, the Adler Institute, uh, Internet, uh, pardon me, the American Institute. And so I had kind of my credentials, if you'll say it that way. And then I was introduced to uh, classical Adlerian depth psychotherapy, which has become my love. And that's kind of what I want to talk about and what I think you first ran yeah. across my name in. Because it seems to me a completion and a deepening of Adler, because it really goes after Adler. And, and what he was trying to do with his uh, understanding of of bettering our world, you know. Mm, yeah. So when we came over here, we opened up our little uh, family counseling and right away an institute decided to do the training to help Henry Stein, who is the founder of CADP, uh, to help uh, continue the, the distance training. My wife and I, Jane now, my second wife, uh, and I both trained with Henry uh, for a number of years and got our certificates. And then I went on to get my uh, training analyst piece. So now I help train uh, people who are interested. That is, counselors who are already involved in the field who want to add an Adlerian specialty to their, and a depth version of it, a psychodynamic version of, of uh, into their, their practice. Okay, that's yeah. really neat. You mentioned um, you mentioned how Adler and the like the depth psychology training gets at the heart of what he was trying to do, which is like to help the kind of the human family. Mm -hmm. um, and one one of the books that I read in preparation for this was um, "What Life Should Mean to You." Yeah. And the dedication in that book is a. Uh, he says this book is dedicated to the human family in the hope that its members may learn from these pages to understand themselves better. And I just thought that was, that's just beautiful and succinct. Yeah, and yeah. Yeah. yeah, so maybe can you kind of um, talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, I'd love yeah. to do that. Um, I'll first uh, give what, if anybody knows Adler at all, and few of those probably do, yeah. but that's okay, I'm, that's why we're here. I'm yeah. Happy to be here. But they will have heard this first uh, series of things I'm going to share with you. And then I'd like to contrast it with the, with the psychodynamic approach of the uh, classical Adlerians, okay, and explain that a little bit. Okay. Because like other dynamic uh, schools, uh, especially Freud's and psychoanalysis, there are several schools within it. We, we also have that phenomenon. Um, but what probably uh, characterizes Adler's approach most popularly 
his birth order, that he was an early had an early understanding of how a family constellates as if it were uh, it could be seen into a certain picture or something like that, the way that they interact with one another, as, as the stars in the sky would be. Huh. Um, that firstborn children who are followed quickly by a secondborn tend to have certain characteristics, and then the secondborn follower has certain characteristics. Hmm. I think it's less important, although I'll be happy to share those those kind of details, that he had uh, described quite accurately what typically happens to a firstborn, secondborn, third, and fourth. That would be first, second with, uh, pardon me, a third, which makes the second a middle child with the pressures uh, of a cute little baby and a competent big sibling. You know. Uh, also, though, the only child uh, was uh, something that he was concerned about because they, uh, they didn't have peers readily available as other, you know, a sibling group would. So he, he learned to, to see a typical pattern in these people. It never have we been taught to impose this on ones, but it gives us a first ballpark uh, if we find problems going on to see, do they fit the mold, so to speak, or have they rejected the mold? Either of those are quite legitimate, and it, it serves as a beginning point to say Adler's individual psychology was always looking for the individuality in the person, not the way they conformed to a type, as a matter of fact. Okay. So this uh, birth order and constellation is part of it. Lifestyle, which I have already mentioned, because it Adler saw us as both the artist and the artwork of our, our personalities. Hmm. Uh, and a lot follows from that, that our problems in life are, of course, there are exogenous outside factors, such as trauma, which I'll talk a, a bit about, that form certain, or at least influence, certain ways we look at the world. But Adler would say, in the end, they're influences. They're not. They're not determinations of mm -hmm. ours. So this idea of a lifestyle, which mm -hmm. is impacted by the the uh, uh, birth order I just mentioned, it's impacted by our physical uh, nature. It's impacted by the environment of our family. A famous saying we use, or a familiar saying to us, is every child alters the family by entering it. So no child has the same family constellation everyone is you know uh, oh, that's cool. looking around something it's very interesting yeah. to see that and and can account well for why you have such disparate personalities in a family raised by the same parents you know mm -hmm. um and then uh early recollections is a technique that is very commonly attached to alfred adler and uh yeah I, yeah i i was reading um i don't know if you've heard of dr nancy mcwilliams but I was reading one of her yes, books. Yes. Okay. And, like, yeah. yeah. And she, she said in there, uh, we can often tell this is, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, of course, but like we can often tell a lot by simply asking for first memories. And she kind of mm -hmm. just left it at that. And I always thought it was interesting. And then I found out it came from Adler. Yeah. So yeah, I would like to hear some about That's that probably, too. It'd be another great interview. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very sharp in, in the psychodynamic and, and very humanistic in her approach to things. But the idea of the early recollection is, is that thousands of things happen to us, you know, in a lifetime. Uh, and even in our childhood, you could probably count them in the hundreds or tens of hundreds, if not thousands of incidents that take place. But we tend to hold on to only a couple hands full of them, maybe a dozen 
early recollections before the age of five. Some people can't remember anything mm-hmm. before the age of five. That has its own implications, but generally we look for around the age of five because Adler believed that once the implicit stage of our childhood was over, around two and a half or three, and the brain ripened, so to speak, and the amygdala already online starts cooperating, uh, pardon me, the, uh, uh, let me see, the, the, the emotional center starts yeah. to, yeah, the amygdala, it starts with the hippocampus, I beg your pardon, the hippocampus helps us make thoughts and memories and, uh-huh. and direct these kind of things. Um, once it crystallizes, we have the job in front of us as little humans to figure out how does life work? Big question mark. And somewhere in the ensuing years, between three to five years old, we figure out, ah, this is how life works. Uh-huh. And and we're not scientific at the time. We don't stop to compare it or anything like that. We see it in front of us and our siblings and our parents and the like. And we just determine that this is how I fit into it. Mm-hmm. Adler called it like uh, coming into a, a play in the third act and trying to figure out the ending before you get there. Uh-huh. How How we often feel about it. So, so anyway, this idea in, in childhood is that we uh, organize our lives in a way to make ourselves fit in and to compensate for what we feel are, are a negative, uh, our negative standing in the world or a feeling of inferiority, he called it, or a feeling of insecurity, we generally call it today. <clears throat> More apropos in the, in the literature is the idea of vulnerability. A perfectly right term for the inferiority feelings that, that Alfred Adler talked about. Hmm. So, the idea here is that um, well, I'm trying to sorry I'm trying to pull together some of these concepts yeah. of Adler that yeah. the uh, inferior feeling hmm. spawns from it very naturally a compens- compensatory movement to overcome hmm. that feeling. So Adler was always very clear that our inferiority feelings is a blessing of some sort. You would say it was a God-given blessing. It's a blessing for humanity because we're always trying to overcome that. And out of that has come uh, the wheel and society and yeah. family structures and all sorts of things like that that, that, yeah. that do that. Okay. Yeah. And I wonder, uh, that might be enough of those things. The, the early recollection was the idea that this is how I put it, my life together early on. And then once I figure it out, Daniel, we have a sense that we promptly forget it or consign it to what we would call the unconscious. Many Adler, uh, some Adlerians don't adhere to that, certainly in the Freudian sense, but the idea that it becomes uh, kind of automatic rather than, than uh, consciously uh, graspable or... or even retainable, we just operate mm. automatically on these kind of things. Mm. That is roughly with uh, ideas of how the br- brain develops neural nets and the like. But I, I don't want to go too much into parallels that way. And the style of life. Um, yeah. So talking about early recollections, perhaps their first memories around four or five. Didn't he also talk about the style of life is usually kind of set around four or five years old? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He called that the prototype. So what I'm saying about a, a, a young child figuring it out, in a sense, perhaps an aha moment in their little lives that they just feel more confident. They're going to school now. They know 
you know, who their their friends are, etc. But it, it doesn't get reviewed again. And so they, with all the little conclusions they have made, hmm. I'm a big brother or a little one, um, I'm smart or I'm not, I get praised for this and I get slapped for that or scolded, etc. All of that becomes the little rules of my life that, that just become repetitious. And they are expressed in these early memories, we would say. The early memory that we think back on is not so much actually about our childhood, but about our current situation as we have seen it for the last number of years since we were four or five years old and not not reviewed it. And these are the things, these patterned consistencies of trying to overcome our inferiorities that that subject us to uh, praise and glory, but also all the deepest pains in our lives. And so uh, from that point, it comes the depth work that I'm so interested in because yes. from what I've just described, you can do a lot of family work and help people understand how they uh, fit together. And you can teach them democratic tools of cooperation and respect and the like, and get very well-functioning families uh, out of which you know come pretty healthy kids into young adults. But none of us get through unscathed. And we all have made in our childhood some mistakes about the way the world works. There are often, uh, Adler pointed out, three primary uh, deficits, very common in life, that twist a normal lifestyle into a compensatory one that that you will recognize. One is from uh, this physical disability of sorts. Um, different abling and how that burdens a child more heavily than the normal child, pardon me, the, the, the uh, non-compromised uh, little bodies that come in here. Yeah. Uh, and, and they have to somehow learn whatever the impairment is to walk or to talk or to see or to hear better. They have to put a lot of effort in that which skews understandably the balance of the other skills that are developing hmm. so so what he called organ inferiorities is one but then being neglected and or abused and that that kind of spectrum is one that really creates a deficit in children so that I not only feel less than in my abilities but I don't feel quite so loved you know wow. so there's that feeling and now I've got to compensate for that in some way or another and the third one and it's most rampant today and I think it was most prescient of Adler is the pampered child, mm-hmm. where things are done for the child that the child can do for the child's self mm-hmm. on a regular basis. It's all right to help the kid now and then, and, and always good to teach them and train them to do for themselves. Uh-huh. But uh, the unfortunate sense of worth that a parent gets by doing for their child nowadays yeah. leaves the ch- children feeling less confident in themselves and the parents more nervous about showing a good child to the world. And, uh-huh. and so those are the common mistakes that, that happen in, in, in our lives. And when those are grown up from four years old to 40, without having been reviewed, you might see a disaster of a, a marriage, you know, divorce or several of them or broken relationships or inability to maintain a job or criminal activity, you know, all mm-hmm. these things. Adler helped us understand is from the lifestyle that says, I have to overcome my 
inferiorities in this direction because that's the way the world has put it to me uh-huh. and uh, and so understanding those, those uh, mistaken beliefs and trying to repair them and straighten them out and put them in the direction of the common good is is the stuff of most Adlerian counseling and that's the stuff of most like Adlerian depth psychology depth goes a little bit more on that I would say if you're ready for that I'll jump uh, well first I wanted to I I forget which book it was but I, I believe that Adler said that he's he's kind of the first one to talk about the organ um, inferiority organ inferiority and to like name that because yeah. of this, your their 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 projection, not projection, their uh, their direction in life is going to yeah. need to have some adjustments made. Yeah. Was he was he also did did he also is he the first one that really kind of talked about whether like neglect or being pampered had a play in all of this too? I think he know? he certainly contributed early on, but I mean there was a lot of good work done in the areas of of. Uh, even foundling homes, as they called them, and, and the like, you know, and, okay. and the churches themselves were doing the best they could with that. But yeah. Um, yeah, the history of psychopathology finds Adler about midway through it, I think, okay. a couple hundred years or a couple about a hundred years before him, and we're about a hundred years after him right now. So, okay, yeah, okay, we're ready. Yeah, so, um, the the Mainstream, I'll call it the mainstream Adlerian approach today, is psychoeducational and and uh, directly counseling. So by psychoeducation, we mean give people what is missing uh, educationally uh, in regard to family structures or parenting issues and the like, and they can do for themselves. Just gear them up, and the goodwilled person will go in the right direction. Counseling uh, takes another step and says um, the given situation, there's something out of kilter. This is how the Adlerian would look at it. So let's fix the given situation, retool them a bit, and let them go, and they will they will do fine until there's another issue, and they can come back and get a little bit more. But it's not it's not an ongoing therapeutic endeavor. Uh-huh. And and the common uh, mainstream Adlerian uh, is, is very much uh, along the lines of CBT. Uh, we like to remind people that Aaron Beck, uh, he didn't study directly with Adler, but he he knew of Adler. He may have met Adler. Uh-huh. And uh, the, the cognitive behavioral thing kind of sprung, we believe, uh, with the help of the outlooks of Adler. Um, Albert Ellis in REBT was very clear about that. And he's, oh, okay tussle with Aaron Beck now and again to say who's the, the one who brought it forward. So. Okay, good. I I read, uh, so in CBT, uh, those of you who know, there's there's the whole, like, your core belief, mm-hmm. whatever your core belief is, and then, you know, the incoming information, if it aligns with your core belief, you accept it. If it doesn't align with your core belief, you're likely to dismiss it. And there's like a whole model in CBT on that, but Adler talked about it in one of his books. Um, I think it's on what life should mean to you in like the on crime and its solution oh, yeah. chapter. He talks about core beliefs basically, and yeah. I, it was very interesting to see that. Yeah. It was uh, the core belief or beliefs 
have themselves, uh, they spring from an organizing principle of life. And this is where the, the um, Dreikersians or after Rudolf Dreikers, okay, who was okay. his main American, he was Viennese, but in America, he was a primary uh, disciple who brought forward uh, our national schools and, and, and the like. Okay, okay. journals and all that, but he was the one that, that drove it in the in the uh, cognitive areas. There's a whole another group. He was in Chicago, a group in New York, and some out in California, who were more of the psychoanalytic or psychodynamic at least uh, bent. And while they also followed Adler's educational psychoeducational movements and counseling, they didn't want to let go of the depth part because they were dealing with people uh, who just suffered the horrors of World War II uh -huh. and the Holocaust and the like, and they knew there was deep work to do. And they mm -hmm. came to the United States and they saw a lot of work to be done uh, in, in, in that area. Mm -hmm. So our, uh, that group includes uh, the, a European cohort that was Sophie de Vries, who was um, a Nederlander, um, Lydia Zischer, who was Adler's right-hand person in Vienna. She ended up in California. Heinz Ansbacher from Germany, Kurt Adler, uh, Adler's son, Alexander Müller, who was the first international Adlerian society president. They all ended up in the States. and. And frankly, they had some differences with Dreikers. That, that's a whole nother discussion. But they, they kept, yeah, kind of to themselves in a way. But they were, they were dealing with individual and family work, but they weren't doing the psychoeducation and the like. Now, okay. here's the difference, uh, I'll, I'll say in a couple strokes, is that they held on to the concept of the fictional final goal, which is that organizing principle, the thought that, um, this single movement in my life will bring about a feeling of such success or accomplishment whenever I do that, or whenever I get there or close to that, that it will abolish my inferior feelings. That is, it's kind of a hope and a plan that this is the way we go, says a little four or five year old. This is, you know, I've got to beat up my little brother, I've always got to stand tall, or I've got to let my sister do this to me, or I must always do that to her, or and I'm making it simplistic now, but yeah. all a very unique way of looking at it. And the core beliefs emanate from that. That's what I wanted to say. The core beliefs okay. emanate from that. And when Adler talked to the, the populace, he talked about core beliefs. When he spoke to uh, therapists and like, he talked about the fictional final goal. We've got to get to that to understand where these beliefs are emanating from. Because okay. if, if we can... Uh, Stein would say, if we can dissolve that, that fictional goal that is overly compensatory, we'll have an opportunity to let this person be free of that and redirect his or her life and redirect their life as, as they would like it to be. Yeah. So, can I ask perhaps yeah, a complicated you, question? Yeah, sure, sure. The, fiction, <laughs> the fictional final goal, like let's say, let's say someone's in my mind, the core belief, let's say, is like I'm worthless. Um, 
And from what I'm understanding that you're saying is like that's their core belief, and somewhere in that understanding of I'm worthless, there's a goal that they're a fictional final goal that they are playing out. And if you can figure out that goal and how it's perhaps a miss, then the core belief can shift. Or some is that wrong, or is that exactly right? Okay. Exactly right. Except I would just say the core belief is not uh, I am worthless. Because that is the inferiority feeling, I would say, if you just put it out there. Okay. That's the schema we use is we try to identify the, the core inferior feeling, it could be the core belief, and then the belief of how I get out of that, that's my okay. compensatory goal. Okay. Yep. And uh, now, I, I hope I've probably confused a little bit, but the core belief would, uh, or the basic beliefs, as the Dreikersians call them, is a little cluster of four or five beliefs that say, here's how I do it when I'm with uh, perhaps women. Here's how I do it when I'm at the job. Uh-huh. Here's how I do it when I'm on the play yard. Uh-huh. It's like, or what I can eat. There's a, a lot of unique little things that that become r- rigid in a person's life, and they're they're mm-hmm. going after those all the time. Okay. unproductively typically or at the expense of somebody typically because they're getting over it it's not a cooperative uh, movement the the uh, this is the concern um, in, in working with people that the fictional final goal itself is very self-serving and understandably so it's not a critique when I say that as much as it is uh, I mean at 40 years old if you're still out for yourself some would say more power to you. We would just say, yeah, but there's probably more power if you shared it around <laughs> the table, you know, yeah. if power is important to you in that regard. Yeah. But um, uh, this, uh, we believe that, that doing the effort, the weeks and sometimes months of work to understand that dynamic of minus to plus, from inferior to compensatory goal, is the core vibrating principle in these people's lives. In our lives, uh-huh. and if we can help them dissolve that and and not feel any longer, it feels like a driving. But let me introduce the idea of teleology. It's a striving, actually. It's a picture they have or feeling sense of something in their future that they'll know when they get there. So they're uh-huh. striving for that. And if we can undo that, then they're free not to go that rigid direction, knocking people out of the way or walking over them, or uh, ironically and paradoxically belittling themselves so somebody else will lift them up you know all these uh-huh. kind of dynamics can be explained or understood in this this wonderful schema that Adler has developed simple but powerful I would say. do you know offhand of you mentioned like Alfred has some collected works do you yeah. know offhand of where that might be best um, explained in the collected works or anywhere? Uh, yes, in uh, the, the first volume of the collected works, I was okay. going to do a show and tell at some point here. Okay. Uh, the, first, the first volume is Adler's uh, uh, kind of lead book. It's called The Neurotic Character. Okay. He wrote it in 1912. It was updated every year for probably 10 years beyond that or so, yeah. And, and it became the core of, of the understanding of Adler's theory. Okay. So it, it's a heavy duty read, but it's it's lovely in what it expresses to you. Hmm. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, it's also in social interest. Let me just name these four books. You mentioned um, what life should mean to you. Mm-hmm. I, I want to mention four of them because they were all compilations of his of his public lectures. Okay. So they're very accessible and still good. They vary a little bit, but all contain kind of the whole theory. Okay. By oldest to youngest, the oldest being understanding human nature. And I want to say the German uh, trend or the German title of that was Menschen Kentness, human understanding. Huh. The, the whole theme is, you know, Adler's individual psychology is trying to understand how human beings generally move. Hmm. So it's, it, we consider that you know, Adler's contribution. He, he, he saw, if Freud saw it psychosexually and, and Jung, psychospiritually might be too narrow for, for Jung, but esoterically, huh. Adler was psychosocial. It was like hmm. society and the people and the community and how do we work. So there's understanding human nature. Then there's science of living. It, it goes by different titles to you. Hmm. You've seen this one before. Yeah. Then there's what, what life should mean to you. And finally, social hmm. interest. Okay. But they're all slim volumes that are, you know, if people are looking for them, you can get e-versions of them from Able Books and stuff like that, and, oh. or Google Books, and uh, it's, they're really worth uh, tying down. But that social interest, that last one, does mention the fictional final goal a little bit. But okay. uh, in as much as he wasn't talking to therapists, you don't get the full uh, therapeutic thrust hmm. that, that we try to put out in the... Uh, in the 12 volumes and in our institutes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, let me say one more thing, uh, theoretically, if I may, please so you've been talking about kind of specifics of as the Adler, uh, configurations. What Adler, I think contributed to the whole line of psychopathology today, which then was responded to by psychotherapy hmm. are these four components teleology, phenomenology, holism, and social interest or social focus or social justice, whatever you want to call that. Mm-hmm. You'll find those four components in, I, I feel confident, in every therapy and every conception of pathology today. Uh-huh. It was Adler was the first to bring them together. He wasn't the first to invent them. That's not the point. They're deep, long-lasting philosophical components. But yeah. he was the first to find them interwoven and coordinated and i would say we could probably draw a matrix of how the different technique therapies fall today uh-huh. by adjusting those four components oh, interesting. And, and i would argue that adler has the most balanced so uh-huh. you don't just emphasize where where they're going or uh-huh. it is all connected holism or that we must be just in our, but he sees it all fits together. They support and help one another, which itself is a holistic concept, which is, yeah. Yeah. Adler was thrilled when he discovered that from Jan Smuts, who has a kind of a mixed reputation, but uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we got, got, so, (laughs) I'm trying to remember where we got off track, but, well, that was the, the from the Dreikurgen model to the the our psychodynamic model. Oh yeah. You know, that we what we do is we look for that core, but that's it, we don't do a cognitive thing with that. We don't explain that to people. Okay. We actually help them experience it, and this is okay. where we feel such kindred, you know, feel as those kindred fellows with 
uh, emotion focused and, and body mm. therapies and the like mm. at, at the, the at the classical end of the Adlerian spectrum because uh, it's through Socratic questioning and and interacting uh, empathetically and encouragingly with people that we can help them face their misunderstanding of the world not by correcting it but by us thinking together and say does it really work that well for you if you did it this way have you ever tried that and do you think that might work or uh. gosh you just told me about this instance that really worked well what do you think is going on there that you know uh. we also do a lot of eidetic imagery we do uh, amounts of body work and eidetic you know uh, really focused kind of reimagining things but, but we're not we're not so I don't mean to emphasize our techniques it's mainly uh -huh. a relationship that helps people explore themselves and understand how they're causing a lot of pain in their mm -hmm. lives either by running and dodging other pains but in, a, in the end feeling uh, unsuited or ready for some of the, the daily interactions that they have to face you know? uh -huh. um, that's very interesting I want to uh I would like to can from here can we kind of take it uh and and discuss so I know that there are like oh man um we've discussed some of the basic principles um I'm also thinking of like how Adler talked about the three problems of life oh. are uh social occupational and love and marriage yeah and those those questions are asked of everyone and it just like your style of life is how you answer oh, those questions yeah. awesome. um and and tie that into like okay we got so that along with you talked about the experiential part like is this working for you avoiding pain or are you causing more pain um and like the the those pro the problems of life resulting in uh if someone is unable to answer that, maybe symptoms arise, and and then an attitude might be formed, and then how you work yourself out of that attitude and get back on the the side of life. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh well, yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. You want me to say how that might work? Yep. Oh wow, you <laughs> did it very well. So we'll try to put some. Um, so life comes at us. We believe in these three big chunks. Okay as you just mentioned, that I have to do something about, because I am in association. I'm born in association with my mother. Hmm. I'm raised in association with a biological family or an extended family of, of sorts, okay? It's all about association. Hmm. And at a certain point, I learn, I learn that I can contribute to that why would that come to me i can tell you a little bit of a sequence and i'll try not to lose yeah. track of where we're going here but uh one of adler's contemporaries suggested this his name was wexberg that first a child uh mimics and one might say it's instinctual that's an argument they're still having today but a child can mimic a person and later on they will actually uh, rather than mimic a smile and the like they will participate in and try to grow, uh, respond to a smile. Hmm. When they find they can respond, they will do other things like imitate. 
Okay, now it's a conscious activity of imitating. And at a certain uh, body strength and agility, they will unwittingly contribute. They'll do what other people are doing. Besides imitating, they're actually doing it and they practice and then they get skillful at it. So it's a natural sequence that can easily be interrupted by a lot of unfortunate things, but it's kind of built into the human human system. So it's that movement that allows us to say at a certain point, I will do my fair share. I will, uh-huh. I will, I will choose an occupation among my fellows and do what I can give to them as I am receiving from them as well. And at some point, some people, not all, believe they want to partner. And the biological issue of partnering is to continue the species. But we know that there's lots of different ways to do that from in vitro to uh, to natural childbirth and like. No. But it's no longer, as Adler once believed to be a uh, an issue between a man and a woman, mm-hmm. although that still is the biological uh, source, of course, of our mm-hmm. children. But the raising of the child into a, uh, a contributing person is no longer a man-woman thing, uh, solely. <laughs> it's also well done <clears throat> there. Yeah. So I, I just try to weave in this idea of I'm associated, I, I work to give back, and I have some stance toward continuing the species. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and my lifestyle, as you n- noted, is my patterned way of responding to the world, set uh, what Adler calls softly determined because mm-hmm. of the way we were raised. Not that we're locked into it, by, but we've decided this is the way it works and we're gonna hold on to that. So now as an adult, I, if I've been pampered, I look for other people to do my work for me because I feel somewhat entitled. It came to me easier when I was a child. Why doesn't it come easy to me now? If I was neglected very often, I had to take it when I was little, and I guess I have to take it now. Or a neglected, abused child can also have a sense that I've had enough of that bad stuff. I want you to serve me now. And there are a, a good number of all these people who would say, uh, never mind that stuff. I just need to get about life and contribute myself, of course. Yeah. Yeah. We would say that is a function of a mitigation against those negative things in their life by someone who loved them and showed them how to love, showed them okay. an empowering love. And that's the source of the Gemeinschaft, feel the sense of I belong here and I want to do my part. Yeah. yeah. So you had mentioned kind of how do you then do the the. Uh, yeah. So then. Um, part of it. Or? Out of out of, out of that, then you have you develop symptoms, and then let's say mm-hmm. the person has symptoms, they go to a therapist, and then how do you get them back on track? Yeah. 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 I could take uh, a symptom path maybe and share it with you. I see it most often in couples. It's most dramatic there because the symptom list uh, uh, coordinates itself between the two <laughs> so that uh. the symptoms kind of play off of one another uh. Uh, and might have, I think, psychologically to do with why we're attracted to people, quite frankly, because they look like a type that will continue uh. the way I have been having to interact with the world. 
by looking like it or seeming like a sibling or a parent or something like that. Okay. But a symptom, a person might come in uh, chronically unable to hold a job. Hmm. And when you look into it, it's because we'll, we'll say um, they're generally nervous. And when they're asked uh, questions about why they did a job a certain way, they become ag agitated and they start, you know, they kind of lose it and and they get themselves fired because they're too too crude or too too mean um what might you call that i i don't you know, diagnosing is a, another thing that we're taught yeah. but we try yeah. not to do generally yeah. now a person like that could understandably find solace in a partner who ironically was not altogether accepting, but could talk to them in a way that says, well, if you just did it this way, maybe it wouldn't be so bad. Uh -huh. Okay. And they like that because it's not a critical approach. Hmm. And so they might then up the ante in their symptom um, cluster hmm. because they want a reaction from, uh, from their partner that will keep them bonded. Now, uh, any number of ways of doing this, this means one person, the agitation would crank up after a while to see how much my partner could take. And eventually uh, my partner can't take it anymore. And it ends up doing just like other people do and and uh, breaking away or saying, I can't put up with this anymore. So instead of losing yeah. the job, they lose the partnership. Okay. Now, what about us working with the symptoms in that regard? If one was just to give anger management to this person, show them how to control it, that would not, we would say, meet the longing of this person to feel that they have a good relationship with this person, tested by a certain level of, of feedback, you know? Mm. Uh -huh. And we would say if they learned to control their anger in one way, so they weren't hitting anymore, they could still jack it up in, a, in an argumentative way, perhaps. Uh -huh. Or they could even do it in a passive way where they're not cooperating at all, and it still brings out an aggravation or a critique in the partner, you see? Uh -huh, uh -huh. So in that sense, that symptom is locked into another symptomology list uh, of because the partner, and it doesn't go away until we resolve how come they're doing the, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, which would have yeah. to do with their sense of inferiority and how they're compensating for it. Hmm. And one could say, and so, I mean, just, uh, sorry, no, go ahead, please. Well, I was going to paint it out uh, probably too simplistically, but a person who is agitated easily may well have found when they were a child, if they got aggravated, mom would say, stop that, get out of here. And they got out of the job uh -huh. that was supposed to have been done there. And it's left to other people to do it, who then become the siblings, the crit critic of this person. So they become mm -hmm. very familiar with this kind of dynamic. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah. And this might be why they're attracted to, uh, you know, a partner. Yeah. And in this case, it's not that, it's not that they want to get out of the relationship. It's just that that's how they relate. Yeah, in, exactly. In conflict. And exactly. We go into it thinking, this finally I can have a good relationship, uh, uh -huh. because all that other stuff is in the back of their operating system. Uh huh. And then, so how would you approach that, uh, like, 
especially you mentioned earlier about experientially. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I think I tend to think insight, like if they found out, oh, this is why you're doing this and it might lead to this and that's not what you're looking for. But how would you approach that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. We certainly don't have anything against insight, but we believe the deeper insight comes from not telling, but asking and let the person mm -hmm. engage in that and come up with their own answers and their own words to a schema we might have in mind but mm -hmm. in the dialogue, it actually straightens itself out in a very lovely way that allows the client to understand themselves and us thereby to understand the client better. So mm -hmm. we work on that stuff together. Mm -hmm. um, I, I give an example. I just try to stay with the same, yeah. the same case. <laughs> that um, Now, I'll start back a little bit. The person who has gotten out of jobs by becoming a cranky kid uh -huh. has grown into an adult who uh, never felt they had to finish anything. They would get either thrown out or pout themselves out and somebody else would finish the job for them. Hmm. Not without some critique, but that was the price they paid for getting out of that thing. Okay. Um, we would suggest, and I think this is Freud's term for it actually in the psychodynamic arena, there is a compulsion to repeat this behavior until it works for them. Hmm. A repetition compulsion. And we recognize that as trying to get the fictional final goal met. Hmm. Once and for all, I'm doing this thing. Uh, it's not a conscious activity, but if we were to design for this agitated person, what hmm. his feeling, uh, inferior feeling is, it might be I can't do it unless somebody does it for me and they won't do it for me until i get angry about it so i am bound to always be ready with the anger to get people to do things for me and as long as they do that everything is going to be just fine okay now that's put in words that's nothing that they're carrying in their head and they're not they're not uh consciously responsible for it. and adler would say they're not responsible at all for it until it becomes conscious and so bring it to consciousness with a sense that I can do something about it is part of the art of therapy, not to bring it out and throw it on their lap and say, look at you, what are you going to do? <laughs> That's what insights can do without the, the proper uh, cushioning for right. it. Okay, so this person wants to get something out of this. And our idea would be, uh, I'll go with the eidetic imagery. If this person came from a family, he's the only boy, and he's got an older sister and a younger sister. Mm -hmm. In such a case, we would do an age regression, perhaps, and have him remember the three siblings when at the youngest age at which he could walk and be motor involved with them. And maybe that means his little sister is just in a crib, but the older sister is showing her competency in every way. Uh -huh. And we would take perhaps an early recollection he shared with us and eyes closed, uh, breathing successfully calmed, uh, and, and, and imagining this, that the early recollection where this, they got into a fight and the sister took over and he went away crying but happy that somebody did it for him, hmm. we reframe that and see very clearly as he's looking in his sister's eyes, I don't have to do it this way. I can do it another way. 
maybe this idea comes or maybe it comes as a feeling. No, I want to take that back from her and complete it myself. And we guide him through where the sister feels the tug, perhaps, of him trying to take it back and says to him, which he has never heard in his life, oh my gosh, would you like to do this yourself? Here, let, 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 me, uh, let me put it over to you. Hmm. How does that feel? And I, I'm, okay. And the eidetic idea is to make this so crystal clear to him that he can feel the tug. He can feel the texture of the whatever he's tugging on. He can hear her voice resonate in his ears. It feels good. We have redone it enough times so it feels soothing to him. Hmm. Uh-huh. And and even encouraging in that regard, because now he's got the thing and he doesn't know what the heck to do with it. But it's all right. Big sister's going to show him how. Try it yourself. No, you can do it. And after, I mean, it could be a half hour, 45 minute exercise hmm. in which he has had a first experience of success in, in doing something differently in this regard. That if we've targeted it right and the like, it's not, it's not going to undo everything, but it's gonna, he's going to put it in his knapsack, I guess, of hmm. new understandings of the world that he no longer has to get himself cranked up and angry. He can actually find out a little earlier, maybe I should try that thing I did in the imagery and just see what happens. We try to yeah. weave that into their daily life, you know, and yeah, yeah that might be a way okay. forward. Yeah. Okay. yeah, that's really neat. Okay. And if we're working with couples, Dan, Daniel, we would be doing that each way for uh, several months, usually two to three months, we work with the couples individually, and then we bring them back together with uh, the skill base starting so they can help encourage one another in, oh, interesting. in interacting differently. So. I really I really appreciate how you said help encourage one another, um, and I hadn't really thought about that word encourage much mm-hmm. until reading Adler and he talks a lot about um, either people lacking in courage or trying to give them courage. And I think like as encourage literally means to like give someone courage. And I really like that. I I had a friend that I I talked, I told about Adler and he's been reading him as well lately. And he sent me a quote about, um, and he said, I would love if each of my clients walked away having more courage than when they, came in to see me and I think that that's a really neat idea with you with you Uh, I wanted to ask yeah oh go ahead sorry I was just saying encouragement can be a word and encouraging word Uh we believe it must always be candid and kind so you Mm -hmm. can't say boy you did a good job you got to point out to them what was good about that job or what you enjoyed about that or how they're feeling different about something. So they really have something to hold on to. You can't BS clients. Mm -hmm. Some of them want it, you still can't give them to them. Others Uh are suspicious of it, therefore you mustn't give it to them. And if they're skeptical of you, you say, why don't you believe me? (laughs) (laughs) I've got warrant. I showed you this. I saw you do it differently, et cetera. And you you build from the inside that way that they can do things and they can feel good about those things. Yeah, that. Uh, I I don't believe it's from Nan- Dr. Nancy McWilliams, but she talked about uh, she talks about realistic and reliable self-esteem, uh-huh. 
Mm. And it's different than just trying to build self-esteem through like inflation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which has been a real downfall, huh? Since the 90s, they say. I think they trace it back where everybody gets an award and everybody gets this and that. It's, oh, yeah. yeah. It's a real unfortunate thing because people just expect now. It's a little bit like a mm. pampering instead of showing yeah. the effort that, yeah. Not that won yeah. them a prize, by the way, but the effort that <laughs> felt so good even before they got the prize. Yeah. The problem with Behavior Mod, we believe, is it interferes with the internal reward system that is built into us and growing, mm. you know. And it's hard to reinstitute it once it's been sacked by M&Ms and stickers and things like that. That so. that makes a lot of sense. I, we were just a class that we're having right now. Um, it was talking about how in, internal or inherent motivation is more like uh, more robust than an external source of motivation. And if you are inherently inclined to do something, but then you're rewarded for it then you lose some of the inherent inclination and you yeah you prove it every day with kids in school mm. who are being rewarded for being quiet or holding their hands on their lap and they go like this oh, where's the m m where's the m m and then they'll put the <laughs> anyway going with that was 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 adler because with so adler was more social oriented was he also more like not he wasn't a child psychologist i don't think that you would say but was he are, are a lot of adlerians also very interested in the education system and child yeah. psychology and yeah. that yeah that's a big thing in the main stream of adlerian psychology which we're very proud of there uh mm -hmm. e even over here i'm thrilled about there's a positive discipline group that goes in and trains in the schools so it shows teachers how to interact okay. with kids in this internal reward system rather than the external one so it's really lovely but that that's very popular because it, it it went with uh kind of the coaching uh areas and, and helping parents just straighten out a few of their misunderstandings uh, -huh. uh i'd say along the way we also found that it it, it doesn't always work and that's uh -huh. where the counseling would have to be come into adjust an outlook of a parent and in rare instances, but unfortunately, uh, brutal ones, therapy is needed to undo the knots from traumatic mm -hmm. childhoods of their own, you know. Uh -huh. So, yeah, but uh, Adler was uh, what I guess it would, he'd qualify as a child psychologist. He, um, there's still some long-standing statistics uh, about the Vienna school systems that existed before the rise of, of National Socialism, when they were uh, during National Socialism, what, what was going on in school systems, and the long years after that, hmm. and uh, one of the one of the statistics that they had tracked in this regard was um, the lack of, of violent acts in the school systems around Vienna, hmm. and they have never been as low as they were during the something like 27 to 35, uh, 1927 to 1935 period when Adler's uh, 32 child guidance centers were running all around Vienna schools. Oh, very interesting. Proportionally speaking, you know, for the population. Uh, yeah. But, um, yeah, he, he would, he and his followers would have open forums uh, once a week where 
the the teachers and the psychologists of the school would bring uh, cases forward to him. He would consult with them. Then they'd bring the child in. Adler would speak with the child, and then the and the teacher, and then they would go away with a plan. You know, it was uh -huh. a lovely kind of model that uh, the Adlerians in the states have uh, utilized, and we're trying to get it started here. We call it open forum counseling, where uh, parents come and talk generally about an issue they're having with their kids, and we invite a dozen more families with similar kids to uh, to watch in and see what's going on you know and everybody very neat. on the on the days and we we help them out that way has it really has it really caught on not over here not yet uh, yeah i it reminds me of um i forget where i read this uh and i forget which european scandinavian country maybe yeah i think it was a scandinavian country they do where uh they started especially if it's like a first a first time mother they send like nurses and people to the home like do they do home visits for a certain period of time after the birth and um and make sure that the mom's okay like you know with postpartum yeah. depression and all that kind of stuff and since they started doing that they've uh it was it's more about like basically you know if we can if we can help families now when the child is first born and help them that now then there's going to be less long-standing problems yeah. and then there will be less crime and let and i forget what it was no that's there. lovely daniel that is one of the things that adler was adamant about and probably one of the first people forward to say prevention is the way hmm. he always had a prevention as a component of his stuff and and uh -huh. none of the others were looking at that they picked it up hmm. afterwards both in freud yeah. and the others but yeah he was always working in the school systems. I think because uh, historically he was kind of locked out of the, the, you know, Freud ascended, no question about that. And mm -hmm. and and uh, history is replete with the, the slights and the like that happened to Adler, and how when Dreikers went to America he was kept out of the psychoanalytic uh, therapeutic circle himself. Really? And, yeah, it's. I, I don't think it's that tough anymore. But because they've pretty much quashed, nobody knows Adler, so there's, it's not an issue very much anymore. But um, yeah, Adler's issue of, of trying to get in, since he couldn't, uh, and his people couldn't work in the, in the larger clinics, they went to the school clinics and established themselves there. Okay. And then when they got to America, they really infiltrated the school systems. Okay. And uh, some church organizations as well that were uh, educationally oriented. That's how I think how we got on the uh, the uh, psychoeducational track uh, as Adlerians in the United States, and okay. why some of us are trying to just broaden the base and, and show that uh, there's still a lot left in Adler to apply on the depth side. At, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, two trains of thought there. One. What was that quote by, I think it's Ellen Berger, about? Down page 645. It would not be easy to find another author from which so much has been borrowed from all sides without acknowledgement than Alfred Adler. Hmm. That was good old Ellen Berger. He's a, yeah. And sure. why do you think that is? Why? You know, that's a conundrum in many ways. Um, Hoffman who wrote Adler's most recent biography, 
takes a stab at it. And he saw it as a little bit of the personality styles that came up in America that were, uh, Dreikers included, that were promoting something that, uh, that just wasn't appreciated by the professionals. Mm. Um, Ellenberger himself doesn't really answer the question. Um, I guess we've all puzzled with it, but uh, let yeah. me just say my end summary on this issue that, I mean, looking anywhere, we could point out where the Adlerian influence is, uh, whether it is Adler himself or the same thought process. Um, it comes down to this. Don't make us a fad. It's okay. <laughs> we don't want to be a flash in the pan. We've been around for a hundred years. We're going to be around, I hope, for a hundred more. From beneath, effervescing, and in this way that I talked about the um, teleology, phenomenology, holism, and social interest, those are the kind of things that if you want to see how they really work, you'll get back to Adler. But you don't have to go back to Adler. You can make them work on your own, you know, and many people are. Um, from family constellation systems that they have to uh, you know, any number of other technique-focused psychotherapies. But they're based on this holistic understanding of our systemic intertwining. That we all do it very individually. That there is no going backwards. We're all falling into the future. And if we don't do it together, we ain't going to last long. Hmm. You know, it's just... Yeah just life yeah the uh the other train was so you mentioned again depth psychology and when i think depth psychology um and when it comes to like you know the trinity uh freud jung and adler um freud and jung they both talked about dreams and it being like the the primary road to the unconscious and that there's a lot you can learn from dreams what was adler's view on dreams yeah Adler was a great appreciator of Freud's dream theory. It's probably how they, how he became familiar with it. Uh, Freud wrote that in 1900. Adler and Freud came together with two other men in 1902. So it wasn't very, you know, oh, okay. yeah. period. And and even after Adler split from Freud, he said uh, this was a real gift that mm -hmm. Freud looked at manifest and latent content manifest being what i remember what was happening i went to the store and did this and the manifest what what's the store mean to me and what kind of emotion does it bring out adler says you can't beat that that's what dreams are about but he said they weren't now adler changes okay adler says it wasn't about fulfilling a psychosexual desire or need or uh dealing with a complex and all the different other ways that freud appreciated dreams and, and tried to understand them. He said, dreams are a part of our conscious thinking and doing. That's because we can remember them after a fashion. And they're perfectly consistent with that lifestyle that we have formed. Mm -hmm. And the dream says, I cannot afford to not be working out the problems of life, which we remember are associations and occupation and relate, uh, intimate relations. I can't afford to not do that for eight hours at night. I've got to keep always working on it. 
And so our dreams are about dealing with the problems that we're having in waking life hmm. in our sleep. Yeah. And that's, that's a pretty strong theory that is also supported today in, in many hmm. quarters. It's a problem-solving technique. Hmm. And this idea that Freud said, it's the man, uh, pardon me, the, the latent, see, Adler also agrees with. He says, it doesn't matter if we remember our dream or not. What we need to cue on is the mood that we awaken in. Because that mood is setting us forward into the day under a certain cloud or bright sunshine or whatever that says, this is how I will accomplish that task. You know, it could be very specific exams or going to work or finding a new job or, you know, another date or, or paying bills, whatever it is. But to wake in, for example, with a, you know, a thundercloud over your head or whatever one says, it just puts you in everybody knows to step away from you and until you get done with your task or whatever i don't know but yeah. okay. this is how i see it yeah yeah um to kind of move into our closing huh. our outro i guess can you talk about what it was like going through the adlerian institute and then i would like to have you do the show and tell and yeah oh. <laughs> okay <laughs> It's such a lovely question because, you know, it's like, how would I act it out for you? Uh. Before I went to the, uh, before I went, became aware of Adler, I would uh, characterize myself this way. Not quite paranoid, but uh, a little nervous. I have made, uh, quite a bit nervous. And then when I learned Adler, it was like, holy cow. You mean I can really, that's really neat. And then I'd got practiced in that, and all of a sudden there was the depth approach that I had known about for a while, but Henry Stein finally convinced me to take a deep <laughs> dive into one of the uh, courses. And it was like, holy cow, that was the feeling I had. Because uh -huh. I loved Adler and I loved doing therapy. And, but then it was like, it was just a brand new, well, that, that doesn't do the service because it wasn't brand new, but it was so full and rich. And that was the sense I got. And as people know who go through the the institutes, you know, of different sorts, you're kind of picked up and carried through while you're working on stuff. And if you're a therapist already, you get to work on your therapy with some of the, I consider the best uh, supervi supervision around. And um, really, so it's, you're helping your clients. I, I was always thrilled. And it was, you know, it took me uh, five years to get through, but it's a three-year program. But, okay. Um, to be able to help the clients and to see by trusting my supervisor and my, my uh, uh, let me say, my analysts, you know, hmm. um, it was a delightful thing to see how people responded to what I now kind of know how to do, but hmm. to see that Adler's whole system held together well and, and was really about uh, my feeling better along with other people's growth and development. Yeah. Not, not anything else than that. Okay. Yeah. Where was um was you seeing your own analyst required by the institute? Yeah. 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 To do it for uh, one year, hmm. it's recommended two years. But, okay. You know, and uh, yeah, and we've got we've got three or four analysts. You know, we're a small institute, but we we usually there's about fifty of us worldwide. And we have, at any given time, 
three or four students. We have three of them now. You know, it's a distance training uh, uh, program. Uh, and so I'm, Henry is retiring now. He's reached the ripe age of 90. And uh, his colleague, Diane Piankowski, is taking over in the United States. And I'll be taking over here because we started our little institute. And uh, we have summer trainings that will take place here next year. And they alternate back and forth with America and the like in the States, excuse me. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is kind of a side. I just kind of, Henry Stein, he, did he do some editing for like books? Yeah, yeah, he did there? the 12 volumes. Let me do that little show and tell. Oh. Um, so uh, I've got Freud and Young's collected works behind me here both ranging to 20 books or so. Um, Henry put together the, he got a German, uh, excellent German translator, but um, he just did the clinical works, okay? The collected uh, works of, of Freud and, and uh, Jung are pretty much comprehensive. Uh -huh. Not totally, but pretty much. But these are just the clinical works. So he started with the neurotic characters, I told you. And uh, 12 volumes later, he had found this uh, unwritten manuscript, or un, un finished manuscript on the general system. So Adler's system grew as uh -huh. you know, over the years. And this is a lovely uh -huh. volume 12. And then we have much like uh, Jung and Freud do, there's a cl clinician's guide. So the abstracts of all the articles of the whole thing. This is kind of a, I mean, it's a great book in itself because it shows you the, the movement of Adler's theory. Because um, there's extended, or not extended, but they're deep abstracts you know they're page-long abstracts on all the articles um and then let me see, show this one henry did the red book series oh. and and these are his you know 40 50 years of, of 30 years sitting beside sophie de Vries, and then you know us he did a five volume series of cadp which includes theory and practice and then case analysis case demonstrations child and family and he's just finishing now one on couples work so wow. those are all available it's, it's a funny thing because our, our our institute is uh, built on the idea of men mentorship wow. uh, Sophie DeVries took uh, Henry under her wing and they they just worked and he he did kind of a field theory approach to it yeah. I, I'm the lucky recipient of his copious notes on how he was doing this. He'd bring it back to Sophia and she'd say, no, what are you talking about? It's more like, <laughs> so he'd go back and figure it out. But they, they got it all worked out, you know? Wow. Yeah. And, uh, and so we do that as well. We train one-on-one -on -one with our people. That's the analyst does, does the work with the, the student. Yeah. That's really neat. That's neat. And most, so going through an institute would, it includes getting your own analysis, I would imagine reading through a certain amount of maybe the yeah. clinical work yeah. yeah, um, and then getting supervision hours mm -hmm. and that's kind of, mm -hmm. I'll say to you real quickly, there's a, a three tier level of theory development, uh, beginning intermediate and advanced. Many people start at intermediate if they have learned about Adler before. Uh, uh. And then there is a, a discussion about the modalities of treatment and what the, student is interested in hmm. and then after that first year they begin their analysis 
and then as they come through, they're working on their own cases. Well, pardon me, that's not so. They're working on established cases where they learn how to apply this now, those modalities, to actual cases. Then in the third year, they pick up the collected works and they're going deeper and deeper and deeper on their own and applying it to their own work. That's roughly yeah. how. Oh, yeah, that sounds neat. That sounds fun. Yeah. And never uh, with someone, so for for example, I I'm gonna be um, in the in the fall of this year, starting kind of seeing couples and families, which I haven't really done a whole mm-hmm. lot of. Um, with someone like me who hasn't, you know, who's only read like two of those books, mm-hmm. uh, two of his lecture series books, if I were to pick up, like let's say like. Henry Stein finishes the one on couples, mm-hmm. and I was to pick that up and read it. Would I would I be able to get much from that, or do I need a whole lot more background and all of the rest of it? Well, would you think that's a great question? It's a fair question, and yes, you could. You could okay. get a lot out of it. That's okay. I have to admit that, but it wouldn't be what I hope I've expressed as the depth of the stuff and the whole understanding of how this works, you know, yeah, yeah. Henry is an excellent writer. He, he really runs away from the academic way of writing. And okay. I, I just say, I, I fell in love with this idea. That makes me happy. Into a therapist, you know, yeah. and, and they're really eminently applicable, but hmm. we would never say that by even reading his five volumes, you're now a classical Adlerian, you know, we, yeah. that has to do with the mentor stuff. Because you can't get it out of a book, you get it out of a person. Henry yeah. sends it to us all the time, you know, heart yeah. to heart, not page to page. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um. With when it with you, uh, where is your? Are you still interested in the integration kind of of spirituality and and maybe Adlerian depth psychology? And where are you with that? And what are you kind of working on? Well, Daniel. That's an astute question because the, the issue of integration is really uh-huh. an issue. <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, we just had, a, uh, through ACA, I got into a dialogue with some of the people who are doing integration work about psychology and spirituality. Hmm. And I, I deeply appreciate what they're doing and how they're calling it. It's my uh, feeling and hmm. in the direction I've been writing is that the two fields, spirituality and psychology, should collaborate Hmm. critically they should not integrate i don't think integrate is the right word now i know that my colleagues have really restricted the word integration and i appreciate that but i think it's a misunderstanding that spirituality is psychology and psychology can be spiritual and I, Hmm. i don't i just don't subscribe to that i think uh psychology has its limits and has to acknowledge its limits it can't make a pronouncement about spirituality good, bad, otherwise, it can and ought to when spirituality or religion starts doing mind bending stuff that isn't healthy for people and putting rules on them or saying you owe me these things. Mm. I think psychology has to call that out as charlatanism like it would anything else, but it doesn't say anything about the core principles of religion. And likewise, and this is violated all the time, religions or religionists think they can do psychology because they read the Bible or the Quran oh, yeah. or, or, or the Upanishads and this is how we do it. It's just a yeah. human map. So, and I think yeah. that's, that's a, not a respectful interaction. That's why I think in terms of critical collaboration, you know, that mm-hmm. we, can, we help each other out and we work side by side and we 
we figure these things out together. I think that's a, a better model, personally. That makes that a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. I, I go to a I go to Regent University, which is uh, they do a, they they look at like religion and Christianity as kind of like a diversity factor, and they talk about integrating Christianity with psychology, mm -hmm. and and vice versa. Um, but I've never heard about it being talked about as a collaboration versus integration. Yeah. So I have to think more about that. But that that makes yeah, sense. We'll talk later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hope. Yeah. Camera. Um, is there uh, is there anything kind of closing out that you feel that we've missed or that you would like to kind of say or um... uh, nothing jumps out I think you know what I'd like to leave with is this idea that Adler's is a humanistic fully integrated, holistically <laughs> focused place to care for people, to truly care. Mm. To care in the sense that we must keep our eyes out for, or our heart out for, Adler's beautiful saying, um, to feel, pardon me, to see with the eyes of another, to hear with the ears of another, and to feel with the heart of another. That is yeah. the empathy that we need in doing our, our, our craft. And, and I think he, he was sufficiently present and, and contemporaneous to get that across in, in kind of a timeless way. Not that everything he said was right and, and written on tablets, not at all, but he understood human nature in a way that we still do well to think about and try to incorporate so that we can be more effective with our, hmm. our clients. That's what I yeah. hope for. Well, uh, you know, you, you talked a little bit about your, your transformation through the Institute and learning about Adler. And I don't, I don't know you personally from before then, but if, if the way that you come across is any indication of, of internalizing Adlerian thought, um, I'd say it, it's a it's a great school of thought and that I think that you um it's it's always a pleasure to see people like you I feel like you're in the exact place that you're that you need to be like you love what you do and you have a passion for it and uh I, I you, you get a lot of meaning from it I can tell and I think that that's just it's always wonderful meeting someone who's like exactly where they should be you know <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. thanks Henry Stein um, used to say mm. that you can't start studying Adler without it touching your life, and I would say amen to that. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I hope, uh, I, I thank you again for, for coming on. I hope that this is, I feel like we've done a pretty good job, and I hope that people listening, um, they really resonate with a lot of this stuff, and, I, and it sparks an interest and um, but I also hope it doesn't become a fad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Daniel, so much for just reaching out. You know, you're doing a really